I think there was really one really great tough guy TV show that came out in the 1980s. I don't think anybody would would deny would deny this particular one because I think it, when it when it hit the hit the screen. It was one of those shows that kind of leaped out at Today, you. still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Now, this was a show of tough guys. Oh, yeah. This was an ensemble of guys who were known to be the toughest of the tough. Yeah. These were, as they said on the little promo there, they were soldiers of fortune, which meant that they were the kind of these mercenary-type former military guys that they now go and they're out for hire. So you can hire them to help you in whatever situation that you're in. But, of course, you know they were, they were tough guys, but they, they were still funny. And that's what made the show work. You had guys like anywhere from George Papard, who was kind of the old senior guy of the group. And he was this old, grizzled Hollywood actor that had a long career up to that point. I, I had no idea who he was before the show started. I didn't either. But evidently, uh, this was like the great revival for his career. And they just had these these kind of these quirky characters, but none none tougher than, than B.A. Baracus, played by Mr. T, mm-hmm. who ended up... Um, but the funny thing about it was he was like nobody wanted to mess with B.A. Except when B.A. when they had to fly somewhere. Right. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had this, this phobia against flying. They had to knock him out. They have to, they have to drug him or knock yeah. him out. And he wouldn't be able to fly. They'd so. slip it into something. <laughs> and he would yell at him yeah. as, he's, as he's passing out. And I told you, I'm not fun. <laughs> that was that was one of the funny parts of the. Oh yeah, because you know, BA was on my list, and you know this was coming right off of Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. You know when he was Clever Lang, and I remember Mr. T when he was on that that television show where they were. It had to do with like America's bouncers, and he mm-hmm. he won he won a competition with the bouncer competition. It was I believe it was Real People. Okay. Yeah, and he was the guy that didn't he win the competition? He did. It was, and he had the character. I mean, he was Mr. T. It was the TV show called Real People, and they would they would show this yearly. It was the Bar Bouncer of the Year or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and they would have him do these. And one of the, I think the one that stands out to me is they had to break through a door. Yep, they had to leap over a bar, mm-hmm. and then they had to dive under the bar and grab this like bell. Okay. And whoever could do it the fastest. I just remember him like a cat. You know, oh, yeah. He blasts through the door, and then he'd jump over, and then down. He was always the fastest guy. So, so I, it was because of that show, I, I believe, am I correct, that that's how he got cast by Stallone Yes, to, to be in the movie in Rocky Three, one of the greatest movies ever. And with, with and Clever Lang's one of the greatest movie characters ever. Yeah, and, and Stallone saw him in this. And, uh, you know, he didn't create the Mohawk. Uh, for the movie, for the movie, no, he, he had, had it. he had the Mohawk before. It was an idea that he came up with in the early seventies, where he decided to he wanted to, uh, as he was getting into being a bouncer and like a like a bodyguard, mm-hmm. he wanted to. What can I do to show you know a strength you know emit strength? So he came up and he looked up and he found these uh, African warrior tribes, and that's how they did their hair. They did the hair in the Mohawks, and so he thought, "Oh, you know, that's pretty cool." So that's what that's why I mimicked it, and he and he actually had it for the '70s, 
probably for 10, 12, 13 years before he even was in the movie Rocky Three. But yeah, you're right. You know, the A-Team was a, was a show filled with tough guys. There was not everybody like, um, um, you know, like obviously Hannibal is the, is, was, you know, the leader of the pack. And, you know, he was older, as you said, you know, that was George Papar's character, but he was definitely a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had uh, Face, you know, who was, he, he was forced to be a tough guy sometimes. You know, he was one of those guys that would like to use his brains first. He'd rather talk second. his way out of it. Yeah. He didn't really want to have to get his face punched, and he be, and he loved the ladies. Yeah, and and the Myrtle was crazy. Yeah, because yeah, they had to break him out of the mental institution every time, all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so that was as a young kid. That was that was one of my favorite favorite TV shows uh, growing up. Um, again, you know, we I talked about the Rockford Files, but I think the Rockford Files paved the way for what became a huge TV show in the 1980s, and that was Magnum P.I. Mm-hmm. with Tom Selleck. And uh, James Magnum, or Thomas Magnum, sorry, Thomas Magnum, who was, uh, again, similar to Jim Rockford in that he wasn't the kind of guy who was going to go out there and start trouble. Yeah, he was trying to, going to try and think his way around. He kind of wanted to be, even though he drove this beautiful red Ferrari, you know, as a private eye, you, you kind of want to fade into the background if you're trying to go after somebody or trying to, to tail somebody, uh, which was but that which is kind of the irony of the show, I guess, because these guys drove such recognizable cars. Even in the Rockford Files, you know, he had that that Camaro, and it was it was just funny that uh, you know a car could be just as much just as important to a tough guy as as the character and what he did. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, you know, Magnum PI, I. You know, you referenced Telly Savalas and Battle of the Network Stars. I remember watching Battle of the Network Stars, and they introduced Tom Selleck for the first time at one of the Battle of the Network Stars. Okay. And they were talking about that he was going to be starring in this upcoming show, Magnum P.I. Okay. And I tuned in because of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he was very athletic looking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Movie watchers, if you are Gen X fans, you may remember him from the movie Mr. Baseball, where at, in his mid to late 40s, he still looked like he was a very uh, believable baseball player. I mean, the guy was the guy was an athlete. Right. And um, but I mean, the show was was about him being down there in Hawaii and that they were, uh, you know, he was trying to help solve crime. And sometimes you had to you had to mix it up in order to get yourself uh, catch the criminal. And, you know, he didn't always do it alone. You know, he had his buddies. He had TC and Rick there, you know, would help him out. Would you say TC and Rick were tough guys? Uh, Rick, definitely not. No, <laughs> no TC, yeah. TC. TC, yeah. yeah. TC, because he, he was one that flew the chopper. Sure, yeah. And they were in the military together. They were in the they, military together. They fought together, in Vietnam yeah. together. Right. Actually, all three of them did, didn't sure. they? Sure, yeah, yeah. They, they were together. And how about Higgins? Was he a tough guy? No, not at all. Although... He had the dogs. He, he did. Yeah, he did. Um but it was uh, it was the show is obviously about you know Tom Selleck and, and his character. But I thought you know, he's, he was a different kind of a tough guy, very similar to what a Jim Rockford would be from the Rockford Files. But I think it kind of set the tone for a show that NBC tried to compete against for Magnum PI, and that was Knight Rider. Ah, uh, it's on my David, list. Yeah, David sure. Hasselhoff. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about uh, you know Knight Rider, where again the car is almost like the I guess more would be tougher than, although Michael Knight's character played by David Hasselhoff was he, he was a guy that would throw punches pretty much every episode. 
Yeah, there was. I think what they tried to do is they tried to create a cooler car, the mm-hmm. Magnum PI, and I think they wanted to to have a little bit more of an edge to uh, the main character. Whereas Thomas Magnum was kind of charming uh, in um, you know Hasselhoff's character, Michael Knight. I, I don't think he carried quite the charm that Selleck did in, in those two characters. I think it was a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more crime fighting, in, in my opinion. True. Yeah, and you know, of course, the the car kit. You know, very, very famous. You know, what you know, one of the the more iconic, uh, you know, non-human characters in all of the eighties. It, it's, you know, I, of course, you know, I, I remember the premise because wouldn't they tell us the premise like at the beginning of, of every episode yeah. that you know basically you know Michael Knight was this creation. He was this you know cop who had his face reconstructed, and they did such a fabulous job. He was this incredible pretty boy, uh, you know, but. You know, when you talk about the characters, use talking about that. You know, where you know the uh, Magnum, Thomas Magnum's, he's he's, he's the charming, good-looking guy, mm-hmm. but with the mustache, right? Right, and the Hawaiian shirts, and these. But where um, we have Michael Knight, who's who's just the straight-head, pretty boy, and he's you know we're starting to see a trend in the early '80s towards leather. Yeah, he wore a leather jacket. He always wore a leather jacket. It just seemed he was always dressed in black. It just seemed like that was a. Um, I guess it was trying to make this character just a little bit darker than a than a guy like a like a Magnum PI because Magnum was kind of a wisecracking kind of a jokester, you know, mm-hmm. kind of playful. And I think that they, I think the two shows are definitely tied together. Okay, could be. Yeah, I definitely think they were. Um, I'm going to throw something out at you, and and I, you probably didn't even think about this, but did you ever think about the TV soap operas? No. Okay, because there was a character on the soap operas that, if you think about the storyline, he did a lot of fighting. Noah Drake? No. (laughs) But you got the right show. Really? Because I I don't know much about the soap operas. Luke and Laura? Luke Spencer. Did he fight? All the time. See, I, I actually went back and I read the backstory to Luke Spencer. And he is what I would call the tortured tough guy. Where he is, uh, you know, he's tortured by his past and he's fighting from running from his present. Okay. All right. And there was the whole thing where they where they ran away from the, and they were on the run and they were fought, trying to find that diamond. You're talking to me like I know what you're talking okay. about. So right. I, I don't. But I do remember Luke and there Laura. There was a and, diamond. Yeah, that, that's what they're... Did you, did you watch the show? I like, did. You came in from school and watched it? Well, because that actually happened during the summertime. Oh, all so right. So that was, you know, you could watch that during the day. I, I, you know, I was aware of it. There was the whole phenomenon of the Luke and Laura romance. I got swept up into that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I can't say I watched it after that, but when they, when they found, I forget what the name of the diamond was or whatever, but... I was like, okay, what's what's on next? So here, here's the extent of my knowledge with General Hospital. There was Luke and Laura, and, and everybody was gaga over them. There was Noah Drake, who was Rick Springfield, and then Noah Drake's girlfriend, Bobby, the nurse. Am I right? Yes. Was she, all right. And, all right, and there Luke you go. and Bobby were brother and sister. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, there you go. What, was Luke a doctor? No, Luke wasn't a doctor. All right. No. He just hung hey, out at the know, hospital? I, I was trying to find out what he did. He was just there. And the only thing I could read about was that he was a tortured soul because <laughs> he was grew up abused by an alcoholic father and that he got 
he got mad and swung at his dad with a baseball bat and accidentally hit his mom and killed her. And then the father taunted him. So he ended up killing the father. Uh, it, <laughs> wow. It, yeah. See, there you go. Tortured soul. The tortured tough guy. Luke Spencer, General Hospital. How many people thought about that? Uh, huh? I didn't. wasn't okay. me. Okay. All right. So there was a lot of cop. There were a lot of cop tough guys. And, you know, we talked about the 1970s, but it was it, this ushered in this new, I guess, kind of breed of what you would call a, t- a cop tough guy. One of the first TV shows that really stood out to me, and it wasn't a show that I watched a lot, but I would occasionally watch it was Hill Street Blues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were there was quite it was great ensemble cast. And there were quite a few memorable, tough characters that were on that show. Obviously, Dennis Franz is the first one that pops into mind. But right. I think my favorite character on the show is Ed Marinero, mm-hmm. who, uh, um, but he was, again, one of those, but they, all the cops were tough. Betty Thomas was tough as a, as a female cop on that show. But they were, I, I, it wasn't necessarily realism, uh, but I think they kind of brought a grittiness to uh, police officers on TV that would follow with other shows. And that was a Stephen Bochco uh, show, which he ended up developing a show that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, a little bit later. But Hill Street Blues was a, was, had many, many tough characters on it. Well, they, they, you know, the one guy that I remember was that, was it Mick? He was like kind of the, he was the undercover, he cop. was the undercover cop and he was a tough guy. He would kind of like bite people. And he would he, lose his mind. He'd yeah. growl at people. And so he was, he was a tough guy. He wanted people to be afraid of him. Yeah, no, that, that I, I did think of that show, and actually, you know, the Dennis Franz uh, character. I w- we'll talk about him later on another show, mm-hmm. um, but he he definitely was one of those actors where he was going to get cast as either a criminal or a cop. I mean, he just had just the way he talked, the way you know his mannerisms were. He he embodied one or the other. Yeah, either he was you love to hate him. Yeah. You know, in many, many cases, like his character on Hill Street Blues was not a very likable guy. Whereas as NYPD Blue came on, his his character became more likable. Um, but if you ever saw the movie Die Hard 2 with Bruce Willis, where they're in the uh, Washington airport and he plays the head of the um, airport police department, he is such a jerk and he does such a great job of being the biggest jerk you ever wanted to meet. Uh, on cam- oh, you know on screen mm-hmm. so uh, but yeah Dennis Franz is, is one from Hill Street Blues I also mentioned Ed Marinero I remember uh, not a tough guy but Bobby Hill which was, yes, that was uh, uh, Mike Warren Mike Warren you yeah. know the basketball player from UCLA mm-hmm. yep so that show was interesting because you know Ed Marinero he won the uh, Heisman Trophy right did he win it or did he finish? Second? Well, he was there. I mean, he, he was he was a good football player. Because he played in the Ivy League. Yes, Ivy League running back. And yeah. so, I mean, still. A, a I think top, he was Yale. Yeah, yeah, he was Yale. Yeah, and he was, yeah, he was a very good college athlete. And like Mike Warren, kind of, uh, they decided they were going to be fringe professional players at best. So they both got into acting. And, and both guys ended up having, having a nice run, nice career. Mike Warren occasionally you'll still see on on tv from time to time or maybe in a movie but they and are, he was on the white shadow and he was on the white yeah, shadow. yeah that's yeah. where i first knew about him yeah absolutely maybe he maybe uh the white shadow could have made our list yeah, too. that's chill <laughs> um there were some over the top cop tough guys i in i think with a with an actor like william shatner you are you either you, you kind of find him amusing 
but he's he's always been known for his kind of over the top characters. Obviously, with Star Trek, I'm talking about T.J. Hooker. Uh, he 100 percent made my list. Yeah, as, as T.J. Hooker, as, as T.J. Hooker, 100 percent was on my list. And it's just William Shatner being William Shatner. Of course, that was um, his sidekick was Adrian Zemed. Do you remember Adrian uh, he, Zemed? I, I do remember him. <laughs> and, and to follow it up, uh, I looked it up. Ed Marinero. He did. He was the runner up to the Heisman Trophy in 1971. It Pat Okay. One of that year, so you are correct. Yeah. So, um, but T.J. Hooker uh, was the, I think, one of the quintessential. I, I think that was the cop show tough guy that, and it was on for a number of years. I think it was on for four or five seasons. I'll tell you in a second. Have it was from eighty two to eighty six. Yeah, and it, but when it first came out, it was it was pretty popular, and it. It was um, it, Heather Locklear Heather, was on there. Heather Locklear was on that as well as on Dynasty. Mm-hmm. But T.J. Hooker, I think, was about William Shatner. And what I remember most about it was him. And it was that it was that uh, where he's talking, doing that tough talk, like, yeah. hey, "Hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna bust me around, buddy." You know, it's like there. You think you're gonna come to this town and sell smack in my my neighborhood? It's ex- not gonna happen. Exactly. And and he had the the one you know one of the worst hair pieces you know, known to man. <laughs> That's one of the things that stands out to me is that they were they had they none of them wore like hats. <laughs> it's like they had this beautiful billowing perms and things sure. like that. It was it was definitely uh, you know the eighties uh, personified. So well, if you remember, kind of the premise of the show was uh, T.J. Hooker. He he hadn't been a beat cop for a while, and then his partner is killed. And he decides the only way he can go back and kind of clean this town up is to return to the uniform and get back out there in the streets. Because <laughs> he, he'd been kind of like a detective for a while behind the desk, you know, just you know, solving crimes that way. But this way he can go out and slam guys up against the wall. That's right. Yep. That's right. You know, you're not going to be selling. <laughs> you're not going to be doing any drugs in my neighborhood, buddy. Yeah. And, of course, you know, oh, I'm sorry, officer. <laughs> I'm going to go the other way. See, you, you say that, you know, people take William Shatner one way or the other. I love William Shatner. I, I I love the whole shtick that he has. It's yeah, it, it's definitely an acquired taste, but I would agree with you. Because he I, does it kind of with like a smile. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. So I, but T.J. Hooker for me was well, one of those over the top cop tough guy TV shows. But while we're talking about you know the, the cop tough guys like T.J. Hooker, I think everybody was on board, particularly in the first two or three seasons with a couple of guys in Miami, and that was Miami Vice. Miami Vice was a huge, huge show, and I think they that was like the new era of, of Tough Cop where they were presented in a different way. You know, now not only were they were they cops, but there was all this style that was being uh, thrown out there, and you had uh, Tubbs and Crockett, mm-hmm. and you had these, I mean, they weren't, whereas you look at a, a show like, Dukes of Hazard, where Bo and Luke were pretty young, uh, you know, what Luke Duke being a little bit older, but Don Johnson and um, Philip Michael Thomas, these guys weren't babies by the time they landed a show like this. They they were in their thirties. Oh yeah, when when the show landed. So you're, you're talking about guys who have a little bit more of a grizzled look, um, but yet it was not that. If you look at the, the the crux of the show and the writing of the show, it's it really does fit that typical formula of the of the tough guy shoot 'em up get in fights kind of cop show that that it just had so much more style to it and was 
very highly uh, influenced by MTV. Oh, I, yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, we talked about in one of our earlier episodes, you know, about how in a way it was a big music video. You know, the the obviously the clothing played a bigger part in Miami Vice than probably in any other cop show ever mm-hmm. uh, it, because it, it was a focal part and the the music it's really the first time i think they they ever played actual songs where they didn't have other artists sing them mm-hmm. at, on on television shows which made it unique which made it really stand out the fact that ntv really got behind this thing and the characters were good characters because it's great to have all the style and all the fluff, but if you don't have like the foundation, I don't think the show would have been great. But Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas did; they were excellent on this show, and they they were perfectly cast for these characters. Yeah, and I I don't know if the show is successful without them. You know what I'm saying? Depending on how you cast the show, and but I think they were it, it was between the writing and the actors that were put into their roles. It was, uh, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm. So, I think they definitely fit into the category of of the tough guy uh, genre. So, uh, one of the other ones that I wanted to, and this is one of my favorite shows of all time, and this really kind of fits the old school cop tough guy. And and you could go right up and down the list with this one. I'm talking about Law and Order, which was so popular it got brought back again. And it's still on TV today. You talk about different characters, and Sean, I, I don't honestly. Do you? Are you a Law and Order watcher? No. Okay, so you probably don't know the characters. No, I don't. Okay. Is is Ice T on this one? No, Uh, that is the other Law and Order, uh, SVU. Okay. I mean, I've seen these shows before. I mean, I've I've already been flipping through the the channels and stumbled upon an episode, but not enough where I really know who the characters are. Okay, And I think the guy who kind of defines, there there were a couple of guys, uh, Chris Noth was one of the first uh, investigators, one of the first cops that... Is that the actor or the character? That's the actor. Okay. Okay. And he, um, he was like the tough guy cop. It was always two cops, two, two homicide investigators. And they're always partnered up. And I think in the beginning, it was, uh, I think where they where the show really hit its stride is they brought in uh, the guy with the character named Lenny Briscoe. And if you are watch, a watcher of Law & Order, you, you definitely know who Briscoe is. He's this older cop who is a recovering alcoholic. And he always has this look on his face like he has seen this all a million times. Okay. And he just kind of, like you had mentioned about before with Little House on the Prairie about, you know, the per- perseverance of life. And I think Briscoe kind of defines that where obviously you have to have a great deal degree of toughness to be able to navigate your way through New York City, especially when you're dealing with criminals. So, but I can't say I, I ever saw Lenny Briscoe throw a punch. But yet he, if there's anybody that sort of defines the quintessential cop on TV, I, I think you would go to this show, Law and Order, and this particular individual in Lenny Briscoe, and that's probably what you would picture in your mind as to what a cop would look like on a TV show. Okay, all right, um, but yeah, it, it's not just it's not just Briscoe, but he's the first one that pops into mind, and I thought that Law and Order has had 
a lot of guys who played the investigator over the years and, and they've all kind of had that tough, tough guy, uh, persona about them. So, uh, not to, uh, law and order going to change, uh, twist gears a little bit, change mm-hmm. gears a little bit. So there was a show that used to remember back in the day when Monday night football didn't come on until nine o'clock. Do you remember that in the eighties? Sure. Yeah. So ABC got the idea the brilliant idea to put a show on that came on right before Monday night football. And lo and behold, it took off and, there's no way I would have watched the show before it, had they not stuck it on the time slot that it was. And this is where I, I, I qualified as the nerdy tough guy. Okay. All right. And this would be, and we'll play the theme song here. See if you can guess who it is. I can tell you that Patty and Selma Bouvier <laughs> are huge fans. Yeah. I actually did think of MacGyver when I was putting the list together. I didn't, didn't quite make it. Okay. But but I, I, I thought about him, but, you know, because he was more into making the gadgets, right? The guy could get his way out of any situation. But he got into a lot of fights as he well. He would use, like, a piece of chewing gum and a pencil, and he could make a rocket ship. He could start a car, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, he could he could do anything. I, I, can, I can fire off this missile with the metallic wrapping from my chewing gum mm-hmm. and, and yeah he would do all kinds of crazy things and I think that was the, the kind of the funny charm of the show is I, I can only imagine that the writers at some point were going <laughs> I can't believe we were even doing this <laughs> right or maybe they're like consulting with you know the great scientists yeah of, I was gonna say did time. they ever did they check the science out to see if it actually could work I think that would be great if it actually did work yeah but you know MacGyver was one of those shows that who knows if it didn't have the time slot that it did before Monday Night Football? I don't know that it would have succeeded, but there was just kind of that, like I said, there was a quirky charm about it. And it, like you said before with TJ Hooker and William Shatner, like his kind of shtick is done with like a wink and a smile. Sure. And I think MacGyver was along those same lines where it was so outrageous that it was entertaining. Well, it's, I remember uh, hearing some people that were the actors in the, the great. Uh, Gen X movie Roadhouse talking about you know that you know people like will kind of like say to them about it being kind of a you know you know almost a joke and they're like we were in on the joke we got it it's what we were going for right yeah it was all it was all tongue-in-cheek sure the guy who played Brad Wesley said that was the most fun he ever had in entertainment and he was this very well-respected stage actor he said that was the he goes I always wanted to play a villain and they said that was the most fun I ever had. Gazzari is his last name. I can't recall his first name. Ben, I think. Ben Gazzari, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, very, you know, as you say, very highly respected actor. And he is always no, going to be known as Brad Wesley. All right. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the Archie Bunker, blue collar, kind of uh, tough guy. Although, you know, I said that Archie and George Jefferson, they thought they were tough and didn't ever seem to get the level of respect. But... I, th- I think there's two tough guys that kind of came out in the late 80s that are worthy of mention, and I think they uh, represent the blue-collar tough guy very, very well. The first one is the lovable, the lovable guy, and that would be Dan Connor from Roseanne. Okay. Uh, you know, you had said before about, you know, a construction guy. Sure. And, 
uh, had suffered many setbacks on the show in terms of his career and that, uh, you know, but nobody was going to mess with Dan Conner because he was a big dude. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I think he probably fits into that category. Okay. And the other guy is Al Bundy. Al Bundy. Who my son, uh, God bless him, mentioned him at dinner tonight. Sure. Said, You're going to talk about Al Bundy, aren't you? Yeah. And, of course, we're going to talk about Al Bundy because, uh, again, a, a guy who's just beaten down by life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, Al Bundy never backed away from a fight. And he knocked out more than his share of people, especially Kelly's boyfriends, as he would uh, usher them out the door and always seem to slam their heads on the wall <laughs> as they were making their way out. And I just thought, you know, Al Bundy was, was one of those great, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, if, if a lot of fans, I think Gen X people get it. I don't know if a younger generation would appreciate, you know, the jokes because some of the jokes are very, you know, very tasteless. Um, sure, that was the whole but idea. That was, yeah, but that was the idea of the show. Um, but I think that I, I think a lot of people, Gen X, if you enjoyed the show back then, I think it still holds up. I think the jokes are still funny, and it's just funny that um, you know a guy who played an Al Bundy when goes on to have an entire second career with with a show in Modern Family. And yeah, which is amazing because, you know, Ed O'Neill, you, you would have thought that he would have been typecast mm-hmm. as Al Bundy because Al, you know, you talk about, you know, Archie Bunker being one of the all-time characters. Al Bundy is one of those characters as well. Right. And whereas Carol O'Connor, who played Archie Bunker, really struggled to... to Everybody always thought of him as Archie and Bunker. And they say he couldn't have been more different. Right. And then for a guy like Ed O'Neill to go from a Al Bundy to a Jay Pritchett, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, you got to give the guy you know, a tip of the cap. So a down and out, uh, can't catch a break to a, a wealthy uh, you know, guy who just has the mightiest touch with business. Who built closets, yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I just thought, I thought those two guys were, were definitely worthy of mention. I got I'm gonna play the uh, the theme song here for the next one, and I think this one really does kind of define what we looked at in the early to mid '90s, late '80s going into the '90s, and so this this was a a groundbreaking show in many ways, but it was centered around a guy who was a pretty boy tough guy. It had a previous show, too, that was very popular. Would that be uh, Germany's favorite, the Hoff? That would be the Hoff. So when I came up with my list, I had Hasselhoff down as Michael Knight. I thought about this, but I didn't know if, if, you know, the Baywatch character was quite the tough guy. Well, they, they solved crime every episode. I mean, it wasn't that much different than Knight Rider. He just did it with his shirt off. By the way, do you know who's singing the song? Is it Table Hasselhoff? Is it, um, um, I don't know who. It's Jimmy Jameson. Jimmy Jameson from Survivor. Survivor. Really? Yeah. yeah. You'll hear it. You know what? You'll be able to catch it now. Oh, sure. There it is. Yeah. This was a ground. This was a groundbreaking show in many ways because it didn't do well on NBC when it first aired. The first season, it was at the bottom of the ratings. Yeah, I remember it got that. canceled. Yeah, I remember that. It got canceled. So uh, you know, 
Hasselhoff, who helped create the show, mm-hmm. and his partner, they believed so strongly in it that they uh, were able to get investors, and then they went syndicated. And then it just took off. It really was, you know, there have been some big syndicated shows over the years, and, and we've talked about some of them in the past, like Hee Haw, um, like Sha Na Na. But, uh, but a show like Baywatch, I think, took it to a new level in terms of viewership and then how important it was. It was one of the high, it was the highest rated, I think, uh, syndicated show of all time as far as, uh, you know, weekly ratings. It was, it was a big deal. Oh, and, it was, sure. And, it, and like I said, between Hasselhoff, who played Mitch Buchanan, mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the, obviously the, the beautiful women on the show. Pamela Anderson. Mm-hmm. And it was just, but it was a great, it was a right formula, and it hit at the right time, and I think it uh, made Hasselhoff a lot of money. It, but it, again, you're talking about a guy who was able to kind of fight crime with two very different characters and i think you know it's kind of funny that i think knight rider was made to compete against magnum pi but yet mitch buchanan with baywatch was more like uh thomas magnum uh, true than he was michael knight and i think that was by i think i think hasselhoff wanted to do it that way right okay so but i think baywatch was was one of the really uh you're talking about pretty boy um tough guy shows I mean, it it is one of the quintessential shows of Generation X. I mean, it, it is. it's it, you know, while I was not somebody that set my schedule to watch the show, I, I've seen so many episodes mm-hmm. of it, whether I wanted to or not. It, it just it just seemed like it was there, and it was part of the the conversation. And whenever they would change over the characters, because there was always this revolving door of, of characters, where you know Pamela Anderson's here one day, Carmen Electra's there the next day. You know, it's it's they. They had the formula down. Well, and I think part of the reason why I watched the show so much when it was in its heyday is back when Amy and I first got married and we lived out outside of New Holland. And a lot of you Gen X folks will remember this. There were many, many roads that didn't offer cable, cable TV. So you're at the mercy of the local local channels. And when we first got married and lived out there, they did not have cable TV available out in that area of New Holland because it was out in the farmland. So we were at kind of, we were stuck with like five, six channels. And because this was on, I think it was on uh, Fox 43. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they would show it at like seven o'clock. And we would, uh, you know, we would, we would watch it because there wasn't a whole lot, there wasn't much else on. Right. For, for somebody like us at the time. And it wasn't until we moved away that we were able to get cable TV and, and had more of a selection. Mm-hmm. So sure, but this was one of the choices that that we had, and we watched it every week. So, uh, but Baywatch was was one of my um, you know pretty boy tough guys, and I want to just do two more. Okay, okay, and one of them is a tough gal. So, and I wanted to talk about it because you haven't really seen it much before, and you really haven't seen it since. But it kind of falls in line of. You know, in the 80s, there was a little bit of a throwback um, interest in kind of like the medieval, the supernatural kind of stuff, like uh, Conan the Barbarian mm-hmm. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where, you know, he, there was a lot of fighting. And then, um, you know, Sonya, uh, Red Sonya came out after that. And I think this was sort of patterned after that style of show. And, and the tough gal that I want to mention is 
uh, Lucy Lawless and Xena Warrior Princess. Okay. I, that's a show that I don't know if you can, you know, outside of YouTube, I don't know if you can find it anywhere to watch any episodes of Xena, but it it had its moment. You know, oh, it, it was did. it was very popular. And again, that was another one of those syndicated shows. And Kevin Sorbo mm-hmm. uh, was, was a part of that knockoff with that when he did Hercules. Right. And so it kind of falls into that category. But Lucy Lawless and then later Sorbo, I thought was pretty cool that it was that supernatural kind of sword fighting mm-hmm. uh, where where they're they're athletic, they're strong, they're physical, but yet uh, you know, like I said, it's it's kind of a, a different time period that that they're being tough in. Sure, yeah, which I thought was interesting. And then I figured I'd save my best for last okay. uh, as far as tough guys, and I, I don't have the um, I don't have the theme song up, but I don't think anybody um, would argue. You could you could argue, but I don't think anybody would say, "Oh, you're crazy" by putting Tony Soprano at the top of the tough guy list. And I think, as far as a guy who played it and played it brilliantly on the Sopranos, is uh, you know I haven't seen every Sopranos episode. I've probably seen about half of them up to okay. this point. Um, but what I've seen is probably about as good as it gets for for you know tough guy television in the 1990s. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, if not of all time. So, and, and, and I know you think very highly of it as well. Yeah, and you you could pick almost any of the characters uh, from Tony's crew and put them in there. They, you know, you could even put um, uh, Carmela yeah. uh, as as a tough gal. I mean, in fact, you know, there's there's so many characters on that show that that display some type of toughness. And you know, usually it was brutal. I mean, you get Polly Walnuts out there, and he showed up at your house. You're probably not living. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so no, that's that's good. I, I you know I agree with you. As, as you know, I, I was I was a big fan of The Sopranos and and have even gone back a few times and rewatched the episodes just because they hold up so well. Well, and and you know I talk about how there are certain shows that kind of laid the groundwork for shows to follow, mm-hmm. and you can certainly use The Sopranos as an example for shows that came into the 2000s to 2010s. Yeah, Breaking Bad doesn't happen without The Sopranos. That doesn't happen. Uh, Better Board- Call Saul doesn't happen without The Sopranos. Boardwalk Empire. So you're not going off all my top shows here. That's, <laughs> that's good. But, you know, it's just like there are... Uh, the Sopranos really kind of carved its niche. And there were a lot of shows that, that followed that direction afterwards. And I, Tony Soprano, for me, is is... Maybe the ultimate uh, television tough guy that that I can remember, which is funny because there were, it was quantity in the seventies, and then to have my favorite tough guy actually come out of the nineteen nineties for me was a little was a little different. Yeah, James Gandolfino, uh, you know the the late James Gandolfino was an amazing actor in that he could take a character like Tony Soprano, who was let's face it, the guy was scum of the earth. I mean he he's he's a brutal killer. He's you know just self-centered treated people horribly yet he made him likable and and he he managed to give him humanity and heart and there are parts of you that still kind of held out hope and rooted for tony uh, how he did that I, i'll never know yeah and I, there's something special about an actor and uh, that's a great point there's something special about an actor who can make you feel what he's feeling yeah you know what i'm saying like right. what the character is feeling at that time i remember it was one of the first episodes where he's having the panic attack mm-hmm and you're you're feeling him have the panic attack, yeah. And, and it's like it's like that's good, yeah. yeah. You like you you, you kind of tip your cap to to a guy to an actor who's able to do something like that, and 
and you're right. I mean, you know, he's he's one of the best, and that was that was my list of tough guys. I you want to? I, I have a couple. Up? I have a couple to add, okay. and uh, you 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 hit most of the people on my list. But there's there's I'll start out with one that I'm actually surprised did not make your list. Okay, and just because this actor was in three tough guy roles. Okay. Right? And he, this was somebody that I know you were very fond of, and I'm talking to the actors, Robert Urich. You know, I thought about Spencer for hire. Yeah. I, so so he's, he starts out in the mid-'70s as Jim Street on SWAT, mm-hmm. which I watched first time I became aware of him. He comes back as Dantana on Vegas. Vegas. And he's on Vegas from 78 to 81. Then he goes away for a little while, then comes back in 1985 to 80, 88 as Spencer for Spencer for Hire. Spencer for Hire lasted three seasons. One of my favorite shows of all time. Well, and yeah, and, and then one of his you know cohorts on the show, Hawk. You well, know, Hawk was, yeah. I mean, Hawk he was definitely amazing. was a tough guy. Yeah, that's true. So I, I thought that was kind of amazing that here he had this career, not playing the same character, but not characters that were that far from one another. It still was that very manly, masculine kind of tough guy. Sure, and his character, um, well... Tanner, uh, well, he was a PI and he was a private investigator. Dan Tanner, yeah, in in Vegas, yeah. But and he was also a private investigator in Spencer for Hire. I don't really, I remember it being again with Vegas. I remember it being on TV, right? Um, but Spencer for Hire, I watched faithfully. I watched the reruns and probably seen every episode several times. And SWAT, you know, I saw it when it was on in you know 1975, 1976. I thought it was a really cool show as a kid, and I don't. I've never watched it since. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've never seen, to my knowledge, it, it reruns. I don't know if it ever made syndication. Yeah, but but popular. All right. So another another guy who was, he was a tough guy, and you talk about syndication. All right. So we have characters. Well, let me backtrack. So we talk about with syndication. Sometimes there might have been shows that were out in the '60s, like The Monkees, mm-hmm. that you and I watched later. So in a way to me, it seemed like they were happening. Okay. And one of those shows was The Wild Wild West. Okay, I and do remember that show. The Wild Wild West, which was James West. And the show was on from 1966 to 69. Mm-hmm. And then it went to syndication. And that, of course, was the ultimate tough guy, Mr. Robert Conrad, who then later on in the 80s is uh, Pappy Boyington or, or, yeah, with Baba Black Sheep. Okay. Yeah, I was. I couldn't remember the name of the show. If it was, uh, was it Black Sheep Squadron? They changed it. Okay. Yeah, the, the the show was on, you know, for a number of years, and then like they after the first season, they rebranded it, and okay. they came back with Black Sheep Squadron or something like that. You know, Robert Conrad. I have. I actually have it written down right here, and I I decided, you know, I don't know if there were a lot of people because it wasn't really a show that was super popular. But but Robert Conrad. Remember he did like the battery commercial where he had put it on his shoulder and he told him his, his thing was, knock it off, go ahead, knock it off my shoulder. <laughs> so he was this tough guy that, you know, kind of going back to the 50s, the 60s and the 70s. And he was like Telly Savalas, another coach, uh, head of the Battle of the Network That's Stars. True. And they brought him back every year. Every year. And he was, he was no nonsense. He wanted to win. Yeah. It was always, yes. It, it, it was like Telly Savalas. Robert Conrad and Gabe Kaplan. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, they were they were kind of like the ones that came kept coming back year after year. Right. Now you gave brief mention a little bit to the Six Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. So you know Steve Austin, to me one of the all time tough tough guy characters. I was I was a big fan of the show. Uh, you know one of my favorite Christmas gifts ever was when I got the Six Million Dollar Man action figure. I remember that. Wish I had it to this day. Of course. The fact that I used it so hard and had him jump off the balcony and, you know, <laughs> and 
because you know Steve Austin did that sort of thing, and sure. it, it was not, you know, it was in tatters after about a year or so, you know. But but the you know I, I really liked it, and then Lee Majors came back in the '80s, and he was um, he was Colt Seavers in The Fall Guy. Yeah, and then so so the Six Million Dollar Man was seventy three to seventy eight, nice long run, and then The Fall Guy was from eighty one to eighty six. See, I never would have guessed that it was that late in the eighties. Yeah, I know. And I, I told the story in our Gen X quarterback episode that the reason that he got the fall guy was that was kind of the, I guess, the financial thing that he needed to help purchase his stake and, in owning the LA Express. Sure, yeah. And that's why, but the show for a couple of years, I think for about two seasons, and, and remember that, Gen X fans, that could happen in the uh, you know TV in the Gen X era is... Something could be wildly popular for a season or two, and mm-hmm. then they change this time slot, and it's like death. Sure, and, and they're gone after three seasons. But they're, but for the most part, they they could have been really popular for one or two, and then the last season goes bad, and they're gone. But for some reason, and somehow, this show stuck around for a little while, and you know, of course, that is, you know, Colt is a Hollywood stuntman. He's also a bounty hunter, mm-hmm. so he combines the two, and it was kind of memorable because it, it was the breakout show for Heather Thomas. And a young Marky Post appears on the show. Really? Yeah, she she was on the show for a while. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar with the name Marky Post, she ended up going on to the TV show Night Court. Sure, right, and that's where she's most known. But you know, she was she was on the show as well. Um, we going back in time a little bit now. The the I'm going to mention two. That Scott won't be surprised because these shows were a little bit before his time, but these were shows that I was very into. And one was Adam Twelve. And Adam 12 was a police show that was, as they'd always would tell you every week, based on real life incidents that happen with the LA police force. Right. And so you would have, uh, you know, Pete Malloy and Jim Reed were the two guys that always answering the calls and going out. And, they, you know, it was very much like Dragnet. I mean, that's kind, kind of, of was shot the, the same way. Yeah. Shot the same way. And it was that no nonsense kind of cop kind of show. Mm hmm. And so that, that was one of the first TV shows in general that I really remember as a little kid. The other one, which was very similar, was Emergency. Yeah, I remember Emergency because I requested and got the Hot Wheels cars. I think I still have them. It was a red truck and a green truck. And the red truck was the one that they uh, drove on the show. And Emergency, the there were two guys, and you know, it was Johnny Gage, and it was... Uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Roy uh, DeSoto was the other character, and they were paramedic firefighters. Which one ended up being in the movie Roadhouse? That was the guy who played Roy. Okay. Because he was the older one. That was, the. it was Kevin Teague okay. was the character. He he was the uh, he was Frank Tillman. Okay. From Roadhouse, the That's guy right. the guy who came into a little bit of inheritance and was going to make the double deuce into a into a nice club. I like to make a better life for myself. <laughs> so yeah, he was going to go out and get Dalton to to clean up the double deuce. But before that, he was this family man, and the way they would contrast the two characters was Johnny was this young immature guy. You know, he was you know he was the guy flirting with the girls at the hospital, and and Roy was the was the family guy, mm-hmm. and you know. That, you know, anyways, but they were both, both, you know, when it, when it was tough times, they were not afraid to, to put their own interests, to throw it aside and go in and save a life mm-hmm. as you would expect a firefighter to do or a paramedic right. to do. And they, they probably, this show probably had a lot to do with a lot of people wanting to become paramedics and firefighters. Sure. So a little side story. So Scott got the matchbox. 
So I had the emergency lunch kettle. Okay. And the emergency lunch kettle was something that I got, um, I think it was going into first grade. And the deal was um, the, the lunchbox was purchased, but I could not have it and take it to school until I learned to tie my shoes. Okay. So I practiced and practiced because I so desperately wanted to take that emergency lunch kettle into school on that first day. And, and I made it. I, I, I barely made it, but I, you know, I, I had to practice and do the loops and probably was screaming and complaining the whole time. <laughs> but the fact is, I, that was my favorite show at the time. And those lunch boxes that you get as a kid, I mean, we need to do an episode just on, on the lunch sure. boxes because that was something that I think is, is, is going away. Yeah, and I think Gen X fans definitely remember those and probably have your favorites over the years. Um, you know, I definitely, I definitely have mine. So right. So going into the '90s, I have a, a couple of shows that were mentioned. Actually, there's another show from the '80s that um, I didn't watch a lot. I watched some, but I really liked the character, and that was Mike Hammer. Um, and that, of course, was Stacy Keach mm-hmm. played Mike Hammer, and you know that was the Mickey Spillane. You know, detective yes. series with with Mike Hammer and um, I always, you know, when I would watch it, I would I always thought it was really cool. You know, it, it's funny that I was never really into that yet. The Naked Gun, which was uh, you know kind of a spoof mm-hmm. on those, sure. those Mickey Spillane, the way that he narrated, you know, uh, you know, he's she had legs like you know he's he's kind yeah. of going through the descriptions of everything. And like I said, launch a thousand ships, yeah. and, and then she walked, had to walk into my my office of all the offices in in Manhattan. It's like every you know everything they're trying to be you know Hemingway, yeah, with with how they write over the top, and but you know with the Naked Gun being one of my favorite comedy movies of the nineteen eighties, yeah, I just never really got the. Uh, I remember the show, mm-hmm. I remember watching the show, but I never remember like mm, I didn't really tune in on a regular basis. But if I happened upon it, I oftentimes I would watch it. Also, it, you mentioned him, um, but I want to give a special shout out to the Andy Sipowitz character okay. on NYPD Blue. Because to me, while he, I, I like the Dennis Franz character uh, with uh, Bunts on uh, Hill Street Blues, Hill Street Blues. He, he was not the focal point. But when NYPD Blue came on, he was the focal point of the show. He very quickly became the focal point because, uh, you know, it was David Carradine who was the. Um, I guess kind of the main main character when the when the show first started, and but he very he left after one season, yeah, and decided he wanted to get into movies to become a movie star. And from that point on, it was it was Dennis Franz or Andy Sipowitz's TV show. So NYPD Blue ran from 1993 to 2005, mm-hmm. so long running television show. And you know back in the you know in the 90s, you know one of my friends. Uh, um, one of my you know, former roommates, uh, Steve Reed, always liked this show. And so we, uh, me and the, and the other roommates, we would get together and we'd, we'd watch the show. And I just remember Steve would get so excited because there was, the, uh, there was always the part of every episode where Sipowitz would tune a guy up. Okay. There, there would always be some crooked guy, and Sipowitz would want to get some, some information out of the guy. Yeah. And basically, he'd ha- he, you know, he was going to work the guy over. You know, illegal as it was for, for him to do that, but he was going to, you know, he would start to steam. And, you know, if there's you know, there a kid trapped in the basement somewhere, he was going to find out where that kid was. It, you know, isn't, isn't it funny? Because you look at Dennis Franz, the individual, and I'm talking physically. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's true to real life that there's you know there's there's more under the hood than just what the appearance is because I, I've seen many pot-bellied guys knock out sure. a a you know a strong, well-muscled individual. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, I, I was never like when when Andy Sipowitz was going to confront somebody or, or question somebody or get physical with somebody. It didn't look completely unbelievable. Like oh, no, you know, it wasn't like he he couldn't do it. Well, he he had the body of a cop. Right. I mean, he had the physique, and he looked like the type of cop that's been on the beat for a long time, or, or he's been a detective for a long time, and he's just not going to take it. And, and he doesn't care where he's supposed to draw the line. He's, he's going to step over every line that needs to be done to where the ends justify the means. But, but Sipowitz was the type of guy that was going to hit you. Right. And so, to me, he was a tough guy. Okay. Um, in the 90s, I have, I have two more. One was... Uh, Cordell Walker. Cordell Walker, Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. Chuck Norris. Was that 90s? That was in the 90s. That wow. show was on, believe it or not, from 93 to 2001. I never would have guessed it went back to Walker, 93. Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Chuck well. Norris. You're not going to find a tougher guy than Chuck Norris. No, you're not. And and I, I probably didn't. I, I Walker, Texas Ranger fell off the radar because I always think of Chuck Norris from movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he actually had the TV show for... For many many years, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, like, so from ninety three right. to two thousand one, and heavily into syndication. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I right. probably when it was on watched it, but I watched it more in syndication years later. But you know, Walker, he, you know, Chuck Norris, as people know, was a real martial artist. Yes, and so you know, uh, good old Cordell was a nice guy till he was pushed too far and he was not afraid to use force. Okay. Well, where Dennis Franz in real life may not be a tough guy. He may he played one. Chuck Norris is a tough guy in real life. Um, I, I Even now, Chuck is like in his 80s, if not 90s. I think he's 82 now. I wouldn't mess with him now. No. So no. anyway, so I got one more. One okay. more on my list. And that would be Mr. Nelson Mandela Muntz. From The Simpsons. <laughs> Ten-year-old tough guy. Nelson Muntz. Nelson Muntz. <laughs> Simpsons running from 1990 to the present. And, of course, the uh, Nelson Muntz, the eternal ten-year-old um, bully from Springfield Elementary. And um, still played by Nancy Cartwright. Uh, voice of Nancy Cartwright, you know, is, is Nelson's voice. But, yeah, you know, for me, it didn't come much tougher than Nelson Muntz. Smell you later. <laughs> yeah. Ha ha. <laughs> so, you know, could have gone with, with Jimbo uh, Jones, could have gone with Carney. But, yeah, you know, Jimbo, there, there was there was a couple episodes where, you know, he cried, I think, one time. <laughs> and, you know, he thought Mel was going to kill him that one episode. And he basically begged for his life. And I don't think he ever saw Nelson do that. No, I don't think so. so well, no, he did. Remember, he made fun of the guy, the big tall guy in the little car. Oh yeah! So the guy made him pull his pants down. <laughs> to walk in front of the car. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but still, Nelson Muntz, my Nelson final Muntz. tough guy. All right, yeah, you got through a Simpsons reference in there. That was that was very good. Um, yeah, there were a couple of names from the seventies. I wasn't sure if I was going to use like um, John and Ponch from Chips. Yeah, thought about you know, it. I thought about that. Bj and the Bear. BJ thought about McKay. Bj and the Bear. Yeah, it was just there were some there were some guys out there. I thought that was kind of the uh, the. the 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 pretty boy kind of mm-hmm. kind of tough guy, but there were there were definitely better I think examples of the tough guys on television. So uh, you know that's that's kind of our list, and hopefully you you had some 
uh, nice memories of, of television. We don't always go down the road of television. So I thought it might be fun for us to kind of visit a specific area of television and, and bring back some shows that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while. So. Yep. Yep. I, it, it was nice. It was fun. Basically what I do with my list is I didn't necessarily group them the way you do it. I kind of just a brain drain and it's amazing how many of the same characters we came up with. It's kind of, it's kind of how I started. And then I thought, you know, there's kind of like a common theme. Here. Sure. So I started to like, yeah. like maybe uh, because I really think that there are characters in TV, as you know, um, Hollywood is a copycat industry. Mm-hmm. So if something is popular, the, you guarantee the other network is going to try and replicate that. And that's why I thought, you know, like Knight Rider was absolutely, uh, you know, an attempt to take viewers away from Magnum P.I. If they'd the only given him a mustache, it would have been like, a, they would have probably been sued. Yeah. So I, I just thought, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that a lot of these shows do end up tying together in one way or another, and you just happen to do it over over a period of 30 years. Right, and I think that's why we saw more of the, the tough guy cops in the 70s, because that's kind of what they were putting out there. Sure. All right, so that was my, that was my topic for today, uh, you know, TV tough guys. So we're going to head into episode number 34 mm-hmm. next week. And Sean, what did you want to talk about? So um, I want to go back uh, for me. I haven't done music for a little bit, so... Um, as our listeners know, Scott and I are siblings. Yeah, and maybe maybe some of you listening do not know that. I actually had someone say to me one time, why do you list, uh, say that you're the, the, the brother's high? And I go, because we're brothers and it's our last name. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was someone actually did not quite get it, uh, that that's what that was. Well, I think it's important to, to mention that we didn't come up with that name. Right. That was when, when Sean and I were doing radio back in the early 2000s there we worked for a radio station here in lancaster 1490 wlpa and they came up with the name the brothers it was the little tag on the on the commercials yeah and here's the here's the story behind it um we used to work out in a gym together we had the same membership to the same place formula fitness jan weaver how you doing jan um and one of the members in there listened to us on the radio didn't put us together at that point until he found out who we were and then he's like you guys are you brothers and (laughs) i think what he was trying to like ask in a roundabout way is if we were a couple (laughs) because we're like on the radio together and we're working out together yeah Yeah. so i I think they you know he was like um and we're like no we're so i told we told the story to our boss at the radio station She, she thought this was hilarious so she actually had tom richards tr uh come up with the tagline for when they would announce us for the football games and they would and he would say and now here are scott and sean the brothers high and he would like go into it and that's how we got the name of the brothers high so um we are siblings and i was thinking that sometimes when when you're have a sibling whether it's a brother or sister there's when you when you uh, play sports, sometimes there can be like a, a an unspoken communication that goes on. But it's especially true when there's music involved, where you have siblings that just seem to play well together. They might not always like each other, but they can create music together. And I thought, so let's come up with a list of our all time greatest siblings in a band. Uh, okay. Could be could be brother, could be sister, uh, could be sister sister. I mean, it's siblings. So if you want to go ahead and rank them, we'll we'll do a list, and and our listeners um, 
can go ahead and come up with their own list and kind of compare what, what we come up with. And we will do our, you know, we can do our top 12. We can do some honorable mentions, but we will do our all-time bands that had siblings. Okay. Well, I knew because you, you didn't tell me exactly what it was that you were going to do, but you said you're kind of excited about it, like you were already starting to. Yeah, my list with, is done. Oh, done. <laughs> it's, 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 I just had to rank them right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um, how would we title this for next for next week for next episode? Would you say uh, uh, all time uh, sibling bands? Sure, whatever. Okay. That's all fine. All time sibling bands coming up on the Gen X Playback Show. So uh, we just want to say thanks again for all your support and all the viewers and listeners from around the world and around the country in the United States. Big shout out to Alexandria, Virginia, uh, for uh, for listening, tuning into the Gen X Playback Show. We are very grateful that you come in week after week, and as long as you keep showing up, we'll keep telling the stories. So um, we like talking about the, our favorite times of the Gen X era, and we're ready to go next week with our favorite sibling bands. Sure, and if you are listening and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Please uh, rank us, rate us. Five stars are awesome. We appreciate those because it really helps us go up and get, it connects with the algorithm i don't know why but that's how it works so if you can take the time to do that we would greatly appreciate it all right so next week it's our favorite sibling bands and again we want to thank you for listening to the gen x playback show with the brothers high i am scott and i'm sean and we'll talk to you next time see ya